The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. everybody welcome back for another men of tomorrow interview uh it's been a hot minute because we've had uh last few guests we've had have been on the 40 man but um and coincidentally have also been lefty so we do have a lefty today not quite on the 40 man yet but you know we'll see where he's at uh very interesting profile uh pitching profile so um very excited to have dominic uh, labruto here today um i'm also joined as I'm not going to say as always, but as sometimes happens, I am joined by my sweet son, Tim. No relation. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm good. How are you, Uncle Ed? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It doesn't work. I'm, you're, you're my, you're, you're, I'm your dad. No. I'm your dad. If you're my son, I'm your dad. I'd be your uncle if you were my nephew. It's not. You, you, you failed family relations here, Tim. Uh <laughs> We're, we 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 have a lot of fun uh, around here, uh, but I'll tell you what's not what's not so fun, and that's um, that's the that's what you've been rehabbing the last year, Dominic. Um, Tommy Tommy John surgery. How's uh, how has the last year been for you? Uh, it's definitely it's definitely been uh, it's been a little bit of a grind. You know, obviously you've you've got all the rehab, you've got that whole process. Um, These twelve to sixteen months, roughly. Um, so it's making sure that you're prioritizing your physical therapy, uh, especially going into the off season and things like that, where you don't have, you know, everything, like all of the like machines and different, different things at your disposal. And you kind of have to make it work with what you got either at your house or at local places. And then also making sure that you're, you know, I, I typically work full time in the off seasons as well. So making sure that I have somewhat of a work life balance and then mixing in PT on top of all that. So uh, it was definitely a little grindy, but now that I'm back down in uh, in Fort Myers at our spring training complex, I get to solely focus on my physical therapy. Throwing program's been going great, so now it's kind of like you know we're we're getting to the to the light at the end of the tunnel, which is making all of the all of this past year the grind that was this past year worth it. So you must you must be so excited to just be back back on the mound, back competing. Um, oh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about about yourself for people that uh, haven't followed your career? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So um, I was drafted by the Red Sox in 2017 in the in the 18th round. So uh, I went to Florida International University. I was there for three years as a as a left handed reliever. Started sprinkled here and there, but definitely um, was my true self as a reliever. Always have been, uh, and I always I call myself the. Uh, well, for lack of better terms and for, for not using profanity, the messed up, messed up lefty. Uh, you use profanity when, on here. It's totally fine. <laughs> okay, got you. But yeah, so like to put it in perspective, when you think of like left-handed pitchers, more often than not, like, okay, they're funky. There's something like odd about them. Like naturally left-handed pitchers will either have sink or run or they'll throw like a good like rising fastball. They have some sort of either arm side run or, or arm side ride to their fastballs, whereas I'm the complete opposite for some reason, throwing a cutter has just always been very natural to me. So I have this funky delivery. I'm a weird looking lefties, rec specs, mustache, all the fun stuff to go along with it. And then I just throw this, this ridiculous cutter that looks just like my four same throw at a pretty, pretty hard pace that, you know, has been pretty much the, the main reason why I've had such uh, the successes that I have in the, at the minor league level so far. It's just because you, know, you just don't see it often uh, nowadays. Um, as far as like a true natural left-handed cutter, so it's it's just I'm a I'm a messed up messed up lefty to say to, to say the least. But it's worked for you, and I mean it's interesting that you were a reliever in college also because you hear so much about like players like oh they're a starter and then they convert to relief pitching. But do you? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you find that relieving just comes naturally to you? I feel like it's got to be tough to um, just be ready to go in at any at a moment's notice. Uh, yeah, it kind of, it, it fits my profile and my mentality a little bit better. Um, I did, I was the Saturday starter my junior year in college. I started off as that cause I did really well. I had some successes with it. Um, 
but uh, you know, leading into the first few weeks or like the first month or so of the season, we were, we were losing a lot of uh, uh, one run ball games and it was typically late in the game. Uh, and it was one of those things that just kind of drove me nuts. I was like, listen, I know that we have a younger, a younger staff. They have been starters for their entire career in high school. That's where they excel at. They just didn't quite have that flip of a switch bulldog mentality to come in in a tight game late in the late and in the later innings where, you know, that was something that I had already proven that I could do. So in a place that I excelled. So I had a, a talk with my coaches and we were like, Hey, you know, starting has been going. Okay. And I was like, listen, put me in the bullpen. Let me be the closer. Like I'm, I'm ready. Give these kids their shot as starting. If it's a close ball, I'll pitch in any, any situation. And I started a couple more games later in the year just because we had some injuries, but I was like, listen, I just want to pitch. I want to win though. I want to win baseball games. That's my mentality. And it's going in there in any situation, bases loaded, nobody on 10 run game, one run game. I'm there to win. I'm there to shut the door and make sure that nothing else happens in the game. So it just fit. I have a question. Uh, So you're you're up, Tim. I was going to say, I have a question. What's it like getting drafted by like a historic organization like the Red Sox? So it's, it's, so is that my whole draft process was actually kind of a a crazy thing. And I I talked about it once before, but um, so it's a funny story. I grew up diehard Yankee fan which is like very out there. I understand now I definitely, I'm like, I, I appreciate the Yankees. I definitely am more of a Red Sox fan for sure. Um, I have obviously a good handful of friends that are up in the big league level, but just we're, seeing the way things work behind the scenes is definitely, you know, the Red Sox are a first class organization. They've always treated us well. They've had, they've had us at the forefront of their thoughts, regardless of being a minor leaguer in your first year or being an old guy like me in year six or year seven, the end of my contract. You know, they always they always put us first. So I, I definitely have way more of an appreciation for them than I ever thought that I would. Um, but my dad, he, we call him the the ultimate cooler because anytime he places a bet on sports, they whatever bet he made, they lose. So, <laughs> so he ends up showing up on the third draft day. We we knew I was going to get drafted, wearing an all red polo. And he's like, if I do this, you're not going to get drafted by the Red Sox. There's no way. And so when I was on, I was on the phone with the Orioles, they were offering me because they had a couple of picks after the Red Sox, like, okay, will you sign for this? And the Red Sox just drafted me. I talked to him a couple of times before that, but while I was on the phone with the Orioles, he literally goes, oh, they freaking took him. And they started freaking out. (laughs) And I turn, I look, my dad's jaw is on the ground. My mom, her eyes are like wide as all can be. And I'm sitting there like, what is going on? I had no idea what happened. And I just look over at my computer and sure enough, my name is the Boston B logo and my name's right next to it. And the best part is, is my dad looked amazing in all the photos. So it was awesome. He was already wearing red. So the joke was on him. Now, did he did he grow up a Yankee fan also? Oh, yeah. my uh, His parents, actually, their honeymoon, they went to four different Yankees games. I mean, it was – they are very much like baseball is in their blood. Pinstripes was in their blood. So he's uh, – it's definitely a tough pill for him to swallow. And so I just – one of my things, I want to make it to the big league so I can watch him put on that jersey that has my name on the back of it or my number, and I just get them. I'll have the photos for the rest of my life. If I make it there, that'd be sick. You can get it framed and send it to him being for Father's Day. Oh, my <laughs> God. That'd be wonderful. It really would. Um, so who were some of your favorite uh, players growing up? Oh, man. Um, I, I mean, I, very stock standard, Derek Jeter. I mean, watching him play, it was, it was definitely one that was amazing. It, it was just fun to watch. Um, and I think as I became more of, uh, when pitching started to become like my clear goal, as far as progressing in baseball, either at the collegiate or professional level, um, and I threw a cutter. So need like, it was fairly easy for me to, you know, fall in love with watching Mariano Rivera pitch. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to see him pitch a bunch live in his last years with the Yankees was able to go to Tropicana field with my dad, watch him come out. And even at the trap, they played enter Sandman. So it was like, I just remember getting chills and watching all that. I was so I was definitely a huge Mariano Rivera fan growing up. I mean, if you're gonna if there's if you're a reliever and there's somebody that you're gonna try to follow in their footsteps, I mean that's that's the guy, isn't it? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. He was the best to ever do it. Um, and it was it was he was just fun to watch. I mean, just with one pitch, one literally one pitch as a closer to do what he did was insane. So it was it was fun to watch. Then obviously, you know, growing up, as much as I didn't want the Red Sox to do well. They always, they were just so talented. They were, they were so good for my majority of my childhood. So even being a part of an organization that winning is the, 
bare like that is the substandard here. It's like they want to win championships. That is what they'll do. So it's you you almost appreciate it more knowing that this isn't just like a you know hey we're gonna we're here to win some games we want to win a championship. No, this is the the life and blood of the city and the team. It's we're here to win championships, and it's not just at the big league level. It's all levels. So I can really appreciate that. Yeah, the, com- the competitiveness here. I mean, I feel like that's almost like mm-hmm. a new a northeastern thing in general because you see that with all of those teams. Like people, people really live and die by it. Um, and you know, some people can like there's there's a profile of player I feel like that can handle it really well in Boston or New York or Philadelphia, and then there are players that really it's just it's it, it's a lot because you have all of these people's hopes and dreams are riding on you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that something that kind of excites you, just knowing that every game that you would potentially come in is going to be life or death for some people? Oh, yeah, for sure, because it just goes with my mantra of, like, winning at all costs. It's like, don't get me wrong, numbers numbers are important. It's what's going to, you know, create longevity. But if you're winning baseball games, there's a good chance your numbers are also going to be pretty good as well, so why not try to combine the two? Like, if you focus on winning at all costs, there's a good chance that, you know, as a hitter, you're going to be hitting pretty well. You're going to not hit a few home runs. You're going to come up clutch in some certain spots, and you're just going to have a tenacity that is going to help you thrive and stay in the game longer. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Plus, it, it holds it holds players to a little bit higher of a standard. You know, this at the end of the day, this is a children's game. It's, it's a sport. It's so much fun to play, um, and we're living our dream to be able to do it. But, you know, we're also employees. That'd be like sitting there and saying, hey, you're below average at your job you're not going to hold that job for very long. So the fact that the fans do put a little bit more pressure onto it, it just, it creates an expectation of what it's like to wear the Boston Red Sox logo across your chest. You know, it's, it's like, Hey, if you don't show up, you're not going to be here much longer. And uh, so I can appreciate that. It's a little bit more, you know, it it puts the, it puts a little, a little fire under our butts that that sometimes we need. So I, I think it'll, I'm a good, it's a good fit for somebody like me and honestly it's something that's taught well throughout the entire organization so on days where like you need it do you feel like that also gives you like extra motivation to go out there and work harder oh yeah 100 percent, it does um especially because you just you don't want to let people down you never want to let anybody down so it's knowing that it's not just like your family watching on like a computer on milb tv or something like that but if you get the opportunity to go play up there you got an entire city that is very much going to know everything about you. You go, you have one bad outing. They're going to, you're going to hear about it on social media. So it's, you're not just like, you know, letting yourself down or letting other, or letting like family members, you're letting the whole city down. And that's something that, you know, it's as difficult as that may seem. It can, can be overwhelming when you look at it big picture, but that's why the guys that are there, like they, they're there for a reason. They have that it factor. They know that they're going to have bad games, but at the end of the day, they're going to do them. They can't win a baseball game. So no. going, no, sorry, right. I, sorry, no, you're right. <laughs> so going from like pitching in college to hearing you get drafted and then knowing you're going to be facing professional hitters, what is that learning curve like for you? So it was um, the learning curve at first wasn't too steep. It wasn't until I probably got um, in the half uh, towards like the halfway mark in low A to where it started really becoming. Hey, everybody's talented, obviously, you know, so it's not just going to be, well, I've got this incredible like fastball slider combo. So I'm just going to mow everybody down. It doesn't matter, you know, what I throw and what counter where I throw it. I'm just better. Um, So that kind of goes away and it becomes more of a game of chess. If you're a reliever, first, second, third inning, you can't be checked out. You got to see what people's approaches look like against your starter. You got to see, you know, based off of the heat maps, what is this going to look like if I come into the game versus what they've already seen? So it's preparation, making sure that you've got a plan going into it, which is something that in college, you know, your coach is sitting over there more than likely calling the game. So you're not getting that, you know, experience and game knowledge that you really do need at the professional level in order to progress. So that was the steepest learning curve was understanding, hey, you know, not only do I have to be, for the most part, checked in for the majority of the game, but it's also taking that and executing with a game plan um, instead of just going up there and saying, you know, I've got the biggest nuts out here. I'm going to throw a blow fastball by you. It's, Hey, no, these guys doesn't matter if you're throwing hundred miles an hour, they're going to catch up to it and they're going to hit the ball far. If you don't know what you're doing. Do you remember the first guy who made you like go, Oh shit, these guys are good. Uh, I don't remember his name, but 
I do remember. It was the furthest ball I've ever given up in my entire career. And um, I haven't given up many home runs, but let me tell you this. I threw, I threw it. I was in Lowell. It was the last game of the season. I had a sub three ERA. I'm like, great. I have one more outing. I got this. And I think I got like one or two outs and then I walked a guy and there might've been like a blue pit and this big righty comes up and I'm like, Oh, perfect. I'm just going to throw cutters in. No problem. Two cutters in two horrible swings. And then my catcher put down a changeup, and I was like, yo, that's perfect. I'm going to get my first strikeout, my first professional strikeout on my changeup here. This guy's swinging at anything. And I dotted it. It was low and away, perfect pitch. This guy out on his front foot flicks the barrel of his bat and puts it into the into the river over the stadium uh, outside of Lowell. And I just remember turning around and looking and going, yep, there goes my ERA. There goes everything. That was a perfect pitch, and he just hit it about 480 into the river so that was i definitely will never forget that one and then like you talk about your cutter is there any other pitch that you're like as confident or close to as confident in as your cutter yeah i would say uh, my slider as well especially the lefties it's more of like a slurvy slider thing but it just it it pairs so well um with the cutter and then with the four seam that i've been making sure that getting the four scene back to where I can locate that thing whenever I want. It's just going to, if I get the confidence with that, that I have in my, or my cutter and slider in theory, it's tunneling those pitches against lefties should be, should be pretty difficult for them to hit. Um, and I know I've had a good bit of success with that breaking ball against lefties particularly. So that would say it's definitely that one. Um, when you talk about your cutter, when did you start throwing that? I think I toyed around with it my sophomore year of college. I didn't throw it in games many because my my fastball and I had the same slider. It was just that combination in college was definitely uh, – I just I had a lot of uh, success with it, so I didn't really think about it. And then when I became a starter going into my junior year, it was a, a perfect pitch against right-handed hitters to get them swinging and getting them out early in counts. Uh, so basically getting me into the fifth, sixth, and seventh inning of the games with a lower pitch count. Um, at that time, I didn't realize how – like you know, we didn't have Rapsodos. We didn't have Trackman. We didn't have any of that. So I didn't know the true power of that pitch or necessarily how good it graded out uh, until I got into pro ball. And I think it was, it was Bob Kipper in Greenville. I was horrible first start of the year. I was just getting – destroyed when I threw strikes is because I was trying to throw an 80, 89 to 92 mile hour heater by these professional baseball players as though they're not going to hit that like batting practice. And um, he just kept asking me every single day, what's your best pitch? And I would just keep answering like slider fastball. And he just wouldn't say anything. And there's one day he came up to me. He's like, Hey, if you keep this up, like it's not that you're not going to be in Greenville much longer. You're not going to be in the organization much longer. You're not doing well. And then he asked me, he's like, what's your best pitch? And so I just, as I hit my cutter, he's like, yes, he goes for the next outing. You're not allowed to throw anything other than your cutter. And I did. And I think I had two punch, two strikeouts and a ground out on like nine pitches. And I was like, oh, interesting. And so I just kept doing that. And I think I gave up like two or three earned runs the rest of the, the rest of the season in Greenville. And then I went to Salem and just kept the mantra of like, hey, my cutter is my primary pitch. Uh, throw it in all my fastball counts and any count wherever I want. And I just fed off of that. And three weeks into the season in Salem, all of a sudden I was in 2019 in AA with, you know, a couple of first, I think it was Tanner Hawk and Brett Nets were the only guys there. And everyone else was older either. I think we had a, might've had an ex, yeah. Cody Ashey, ex big leaguer was up there. And there was this young kid that 18th rounder was on the verge of potentially losing my spot because how poorly I was doing to now, you know, I'm in AA in my second full season. This is, that's when I kind of knew is, something really special. I mean, mentally, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with hearing that though? Like if you don't like, if you don't get your shit together, like you're, you're going to be out of the organization. Like I, that, that, that's such a make or break thing. I feel like a lot of people might go the other way with that than um, mm. the way that you went. Yeah. It, it might not have been as literal in the moment. Obviously I definitely took it as that, but he also wouldn't have told me that if he didn't think or know that I was better and more capable of what I was producing. I mean, Kip and I, we still have an amazing relationship. I love him. I mean, he, he definitely is, is somebody I lean to quite often, but he, I knew the second that he said it, he wasn't just saying this for me to go pout and be sad and sulk and go, Oh, I guess I'm not cut out for this. He was saying this because he saw something in me. He's like, 
dude, you need you need to get this together because you've got a you've got a shot at this. You know, if you can figure this out and you can have some confidence and and really roll with it, like you got a real shot. So um, I kind of took it and ran with it instead of it being you know a, a, a sad boy season of a horrible year. <laughs> it was hey, light a fire under your butt, get that tenacity back that you that you once had that uh, that came with a ton of success, and just let it all hang out. I'm going to use that term sad boy season. Oh yeah. That's good. Um, That's that's good. That's good stuff. I'm just gonna, let me just put that in my notes here. (laughs) But um, I guess that's what people, when people talk about coachability, it's being able to like hear not, you know, like hear what people are telling you, but also to put that into, into practice. And it seems like that's really, that's really worked a lot for you. Um, You mentioned 2000, that being 2019. Um, Mm -hmm. What happened for you during the 2020 season? Uh, so 2020, we came down to spring training. Uh, I was ready to go, everything like that. Super excited. Um, hoping to be back in Portland and all that. And then all like the COVID whispers started happening and it was, oh, what's going to happen? Are we going to get sent home? You know, people, certain people lived with their grandparents at the time in spring. So it was like there obviously was some concern in that just because of, you know, we didn't know anything about it. Uh, and then there was one morning we had a team meeting and they're like, Hey, yeah, you guys got to head home tomorrow. Like it's unfortunate. Like it's the MLB rules together. This is what we were told. Uh, there's not much we can do about it. We don't know when you're going to be back, but you know, hopefully sometime soon. Then obviously, you know, due to the pandemic, it was, we weren't able to get back into the groove of things until the next spring training, but it was just go home, keep working out, keep throwing. If you can, um, be ready for a phone call just in case they need you at the alt site. What did what did you do for uh, for throwing? Because like, were most facilities closed and everything? Yeah, they were. Um, I was pretty fortunate. I had a really uh, really close friend. I was in Tallahassee, Florida at the time. My wife was um, was finishing up her master's degree at Florida State University, and uh, I worked as a personal trainer um, and I did baseball stuff for a local. Um, I think it was like a sports performance facility. Um, and I tell you what, I don't know who they knew, but. We didn't close once. We were open the whole time. It was incredible. Um, so I was able to throw every single day. I had an indoor facility. One of them was a catcher, so he'd have his gear, and I could I could throw to him off the mound. Um, I didn't, we didn't have any rap sales or anything, but they had the little uh, pocket radar thing, so I could at least give some numbers um, to the coaching staff when they reached out and things like that. But I was fortunate. I could lift. I could I could do my conditioning. I could throw. So so I was definitely in a, in a little bit better of a position than I know a lot of guys were just due to the nature of the pandemic. So like, that, Oh, sorry, Tim. This isn't something that like, I've really thought about until you just mentioned it. How often was like the coaching staff checking in with you to see how you were doing without there being a season? Uh, I, I think to start off, it was like weekly or biweekly. It was pretty, it was pretty often. There was like, basically it almost seemed like what team you were getting ready to go to your designated pitching coach for that team was kind of the one that would keep tabs on you just in case, like reach out, make sure you're doing okay. See how the throwing program was going. If you were able to do it, things like that. Uh, and then as it became more and more apparent that there wasn't going to be a season or anything like that, it kind of dwindled down to like monthly. And then when we hit the off season, it was just the, the, the standard to where like they'll reach out every now and then it wasn't like a, like a bi-monthly thing or anything by then, but but they definitely were on top of it to start. So, like, I know COVID was, like, kind of hard on a lot of people, especially mentally. Like, was it hard for you to, like, stay in baseball mode? Or, like, did you find that was, like, your getaway from COVID? Um, I didn't have a tough time as far as, like, not wanting to work or thinking that I was, like, put in a worse position. The only thing that definitely got to me was when I showed back up to spring training. And it was, like, I'm a year older and I had no progress because there's nothing. Nobody could play. So although we were kind of all in the same boat, you know, it was so going into 2021, that was year five or season six out of the seven season contract. It was like I just lost one, lost a year. So, you know, getting a year older without any progress is it's tough in this sport. You got young kids coming up that are just nasty that that are um, it's not necessarily that's like hunting for your job, but they're competing. You know what I mean? So it uh, it definitely added a different layer to to I guess my path in professional professional baseball. Um, so twenty twenty one was that um, were you you were at Double A for that for part of that mm-hmm. year, right? Yeah, I did was you, there for the whole year. Did you find that the jump from High A to Double A was substantial? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I haven't been to Triple A yet. I've I've spoken to a couple of guys, and it's 
from what they've said to me is they think that that jump from high A to double A um, has definitely seemed to them, and I would agree to myself just as of now, although I haven't, like I said, been to triple A. It's a pretty, it's a pretty substantial jump, uh, if not the biggest one that you'll make, other than obviously that's just in the minor leagues, not going up to the big league level. Because um, in my opinion, the talent pool in double A for the most part, like you could take the majority of the guys in double A and you put them on a big league roster and they'll either find success or, they'll, or they may struggle a little bit, but it's all relative talent wise. So it's basically going to be consistency and um, like who can keep up with that pace for a certain amount of time, as well as uh, the timing aspect of it, because the talent's there. Trust me. I've seen some, some absolutely insane people in double A. And then two weeks later, I've seen them be in the big leagues. So it's having success in the big leagues. Um, So it becomes a lot more of a mental game, making sure that you're, that you're, staying true to yourself, having fun, enjoying it, but also competing and being consistent. Um, definitely more so than at a higher level where I've seen guys that are just flat out more talented than some of the other people and just demolishing baseballs or blowing it by people. So it becomes a little bit, just a, everybody, everybody can hit everything and everybody throws a hundred. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest difference maker for somebody um that struggles in AAA and the majors versus somebody that succeeds there? Do you think it's, I mean, obviously talent is a big part of it, but what, what intangible do you think, um, at least in your experience has been the most helpful? Uh, the mental, the mental side of the game, hundred percent. Um, I've gone out and pitched where my mind wasn't necessarily clear. Like there were a couple of times later in the 2021 season where I was going through a rough patch mentally and, I was a completely different person on the mound. I wasn't trying to be. I would be on the mound and I'd be like, I'm about to ball out. I'm about to blow my I'm about to blow my cutter by everybody. I'm about to make them look stupid. And I've gotten my teeth kicked in. And it's like, well, what the heck? I, I had the right mentality on the mound, but it's everything else that surrounds it. If you don't have a strong mental side of the game, uh, it shows and it and it always will. Um, that's what I truly believe in. So having having a strong mentality and and making sure that you're taking the appropriate measures to, to maintain a solid mental health through a long and arduous season. That's, that is a big key to consistency uh, in my mind. How do you have, oh. I was just going to say, how, how do you maintain your mental health? Um, well, honestly, my wife helps out a ton. God bless her. <laughs> we, fa- we FaceTime pretty much every night. So it, it's that. And then just making sure that I'm having fun because uh, I know I would get wrapped up a lot in just, progression and where I'm at and I'll sit there and I'll see I'll, if I see someone see someone going out there throwing like 100 miles an hour with like a 94 mile an hour banger of a slider and then I go up there and like I'll rip back and I'll throw it as hard as I can I look at the radar guy it says like 90.4 so it's like making sure that I'm enjoying myself I'm competing and I'm staying true to that like kind of bulldog chip on my shoulder type mentality as soon as I get away from that then um that's when not the wheels don't necessarily just fall off completely, but you'll definitely see bumps in the road. Do you have any like pregame rituals, like a certain playlist or like food that you eat that helps you like get ready to so you feel better like mentally? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Well, before I got Tommy John surgery, uh, every about the fifth inning or so, if I would, if it was the starter was still in and doing okay, I would go in and I would get a glob of red hot and I would put it all over my elbow just to like stop it from hurting. And, but also like it just, the burning sensation would just kind of light a fire. Okay. It's go time. Like, here we go. Boiling down to it, getting ready, getting ready to, to do what I need to do. So that, that was probably the closest thing that I would say to a ritual. Um, I mean, I, my playlist fluctuates all the time. I'll, I'll go from all of a sudden banging out to some, some Cardi B. And then the next day I may have like a Blink-182 playlist where I'm just angsty as all hell. So it all depends. <laughs> um you mentioned making your arm hurt less. Um, how how long was did, do you did you need the surgery for? Like, had you were you pitching through it for for a while? Yeah, so I actually I found out. Um, so I got the MRI. The MRI looked pretty gnarly. Um, I think there's a complete tear and a partial tear on the UCL, and then some advanced arthritis on the medial head as well as some like calcification, like bone spur on the backside of my elbow. I was like, okay, that sounds good, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> We'll figure it out. My elbow had been hurting for, for a couple of seasons, but I just, I could still pitch, right? I could still throw through it. So I was like, okay, if it was torn, I wouldn't be able to throw because I'd seen guys, you know, tear their UCL to shreds and they can't throw a ball 60 feet. And I'm like, well, my velocity is, you know, it's a little bit down, but it's not like I'm not throwing 84 or anything like that. I was still in the like 89. I think in 2021, my fastball averaged 90 miles an hour. So I was like, okay, so 
I'm clearly, my, my elbow is clearly fine. It's just in some like throwing pain, growing pains, whatever you want to call it. And then when I woke up from the surgery, I think uh, Dr. Andrews came up to me afterwards. He's like, I've got some good news. I've got some bad news. And I was like, <laughs> okay, give me the bad news. He goes, bad news is uh, you've been playing with a torn UCL for the last two years. And I was like, oh, interesting. What's the good news? He's like, the good news is, is you've got one of the stronger forearms I've ever worked on. And that's the only reason you were able to pitch. And he basically said like, my forearm took the brunt of the force to take the the pain away and to take um i guess the force off of my my ucl so that was like a big like breath of fresh air like okay i'm not crazy my my elbow was kind of messed up and then it was well dang i just averaged 90 miles an hour with a torn ucl what, what are things going to look like now that everything's fixed um obviously we won't know until until things kind of build up but it was a it was it was clarity for me so that was that was huge that what was it like after that when you start throwing again and like you like what did it hurt because i would imagine that it still hurts for a bit but like does it just feel does it feel different now yeah it, so i feel it was the first time throwing was super weird it was like i'd never thrown a day in my life it was all of a sudden like consistency with mechanics and things were weird and, and uh i actually had a, a physical therapist in greenville who is uh where i think he uh it was in talks with the red sox who's He's amazing at what he does. Uh, Daniel Klein, he was with the Royals for a couple of years, and he there's like surprisingly a very large number of professional baseball players in Greenville, uh, including Daniel Bard, who's with the Rockies. Uh, and they all go see him in the offseason. So I was in great hands, and he just came up to me. He's like, dude, just be an athlete. Don't try to pitch. Don't try to be mechanical. You're throwing the ball 60 feet, and this is the first time you've thrown in six to, to eight months. It's like, just play catch. Um, so that helped out a bit. And then, you know, you have your growing pains because you're putting a force back on your, on your arm that you haven't in so long. So um, even with all the arm care and everything that you're going to do throughout that entire re, uh, rehabilitation process, it's still a weird feeling. Um, and you'll hear like different pops and things like that, like scar tissue kind of breaking away. But other than, I guess, just simple soreness, there hasn't been any sharp pain or any, any of the stuff that I was dealing with before. So that's also been relieving. Yeah, that's gotta be that's gotta be pretty uh, pretty exciting to think what you might be coming back to there. Do you know if mm-hmm. they're gonna be starting you in uh, in Portland? Or are they gonna like ease you ease you into it and start you with like uh, like Salem or something like that? I have I have no idea yet. No, uh, we haven't gotten that far. I, I just got out to 120 feet for the first time yesterday, so that was exciting. Uh, now I'm throwing uh, daily, which is also new. I haven't done that. I've only been three days a week for a bit. Um, so I, I honestly have no idea, but I tell you what, whatever they, whatever comes my way, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear it and I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely kill it. That's my mindset. Doesn't matter where I am, just gonna go out there and pitch. Do you hang out with the other uh, TJS guys? Like we had uh, Bradley Blaylock on a couple months mm. ago. I know he's been rehabbing, and um, oh my god, why he has two last names and I'm forgetting I'm forgetting his name. Will Yellen. Yeah, yeah. Muje. Yeah, I love those guys. Yeah, I've, I've hung out with them a bunch. Uh, we were definitely a part of the rehab squad. The, the misfit toys last year all getting tj and all like kind of out and uh and in our own group for spring and, and the fun stuff so yeah we we got pretty close we're all they're all really good friends of mine um and it's fun watching them progress too i mean they're they're killing it they're they've been going uh going through the rehab process and just actually crushing it so i've been super stoked just watching them progress alongside with me so kind of having some experience talking to other guys who have had tommy john surgery they say like they kind of learn something in like rehab. So have you like learned anything about yourself through this rehab? Um, I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily learned anything about myself because uh, the kind of the mindset that I had just as a as a pitcher in general has kind of transitioned into the work that I put in either in the weight room or in my rehab process. But uh, more of a routine with arm care and shoulder care in general. Um, you'll typically see that become the forefront of a lot of post Tommy John surgery players is they get to the field first thing they do grab some dumbbells grab some bands they start working on stuff because you all of a sudden understand how important it is to make sure that you're maintaining strength and and mobility with your arm throughout a a very long season so i would say uh more of a routine with with arm care is definitely going to be um standard in my in my daily activities you mentioned working a job during the off season and that uh, you were uh, a personal trainer during 2020. Is that what you're still mm-hmm. doing? 
No, I've kind of bounced around. I've kind of done everything. Um, did a little bit of serving. Was a cook at a at a Ruby Tuesday of all places. Uh, oh, Jurassic. Yeah, that was that was a, that was a wild time. That was I'll tell you what, I don't I don't think I ever want to get back in the food industry again. Was it buy no. one get one free entrees on Sundays with only three people working in the back? I was losing my mind. Oh my god, it was horrible. But um, this last off season, I was fortunate. I worked as a as a physical therapist aide at the same place I was um, a client at, or the same place that I was um, a patient. They had two different facilities. I went to the one on my lunch breaks to go do my physical therapy downstairs, and then I would just go right back upstairs, and I would work there full time. Oh, sorry about that. Um, in the meantime, so that was that was exciting. What did you study when you were in school? So I actually studied finance. I uh, I have a my bachelor's, I think it's business administration with a specialization in finance. So, so I'm, uh, I'm ironically very much, uh, love numbers. I love Excel. Like I, I, I think, uh, I was talking, I talked before about it a little bit, but like outside of baseball, my dream job would be like, give me like two or three monitors, give me a, a, a sweet PC and a couple of Excel spreadsheets. And let me just like problem solve let me analyze data let me do like i just for some reason the idea of kind of being sequestered in front of computer screens and just kind of you know relaxing and not going too too crazy physically it's just always appealed to me in general so so i think that's probably what a post baseball career path looked like is um are the statistics of baseball something that interests you and something that originally got you into the game? Because I know, uh, you know what, just answer that while my dog screams. Huh? <laughs> You're fine. So yeah, definitely the um the numbers the number side of baseball was always interesting, but uh, more of the like the the sabermetrics with spin rates and all that. I was kind of, I guess, like the old man that didn't understand it at first now obviously it's been indoctrined and is very important and vital to to making sure that you're honing in on your craft but what honestly interests me the most is the financial side of baseball and not just from like the big league level um but just the individual level from player to player to what it looks like in the minor league side and and everything like that it's it's super interesting i've always thought that it's like this entire a gigantic function and puzzle that you have to constantly be, you know, intertwining things and figuring where things can connect, where you can save some money here, where you can make sure that you're appeasing, you know, the players and the organization. It's like, it's a constant battle of problem solving. And, and it, that fascinates me a ton. Um, as far as that goes um, with the financial, with the financial um, aspect of the minors, um, you know, you hear some real horror stories about, I mean, I've talked to people that, you know, they would have to during, like if they were staying at a days in on the road, they'd like sneak under the breakfast bar and steal like breakfast cereals and stuff like that. Like the little, you know, like the 80 calorie packs and like yeah. uh, that kind of thing. Have you found since the, um, um, since the last uh, um, collective bargaining agreement that things have gotten a bit better? Oh, things definitely have gotten better. Um, I mean, I know before we had to pay to live wherever we were. So like in Portland, I remember that, that was a tough year for me um, in general, uh, as far as like mentally and financially goes outside of baseball, just because all the apartments were unavailable. Uh, they were all taken up by tourists. Obviously, it's a beautiful city, ton of tourists, as they should. I mean, I would love to absolutely go visit there whenever I can. Um, but uh, host families weren't weren't allowed until like halfway through the year uh, because of COVID and everything. They wanted to make sure that we weren't kind of dealing with all that. And so the only thing that they had left, I think it was, uh, there were two different hotels. It was either a Holiday Inn or a Hilton. And we were lucky enough that the Red Sox, like they were able to talk them and get them into giving us a team rate because otherwise we would have been spending like hundreds of dollars a night. But uh, we ended up just like checking in and out for every home series and like paying to, to stay uh, out of pocket in the hotel for the season. So that was, that was definitely grindy, but I've definitely, I know that other people have it way worse. So like of the unfortunate situations, we definitely were better off than most people. And that's a, that's a testament to, you know, what the Red Sox have done um, compared to other organizations. Um, and even now, so like they, they now provide all housing. I know that's kind of a standard throughout the uh, minor leagues now to where they have to provide us housing. But in the Red Sox went above and beyond. I know I was talking to some guys like fully furnished TVs, paying for it. It was, they, it was so much better. Um, and just that aspect of the game, taking that financial burden off. And just one less thing that you kind of have to worry about that doesn't involve competing. Um, and the Red Sox have done a, an amazing job of making sure that we can do that. So I can appreciate it. 
All right, so we're gonna go into a lightning round here. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask you. This is a couple of questions, and you're just gonna you know just yeah you have five seconds to answer. Okay. Sure thing. Okay. Here we go. Favorite movie. Oh man. I that's so tough. Finding Nemo. Okay, that that takes care of my second one also, which was favorite Pixar movie. So there Perfect. we go. Yeah. <laughs> favorite TV show. Uh, How I Met Your Mother. Last Yo, show no you way. Binged. Yeah. How I Met Your Mother. What was the What was the question? Sorry, sorry? no. Go, Tim. Uh, Tim got very excited there. Sorry about that's that. That's my favorite show ever, dude. I love yeah. that show. It's awesome. It was I, coming home from school in like high school. Turn the TV on FX. It was always on for at least like an hour and a half. So I'd like decompress and this, even though I've seen every episode like a hundred times. It was just super easy to get right back into it. So I've never seen it. I loved it. The ending's disappointing, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> that, that is a story for a different day, for sure. Have you have you watched How I Met Your Father? No, I have no. not. I'm a, I'm a big believer in you're, you're not going to replicate that type of, <laughs> of genius stuff. I mean, they put, uh, it was like nine seasons or something like that of just amazing content. So uh, it's kind of like I, like, I grew up watching iCarly a bunch. I loved like the Nickelodeon type stuff. I have not once seen the new like adult version of iCarly, nor do I plan on watching it. Just I, I, mean, I think a... there was an adult version of iCarly. There that is almost a... seems blasphemous. It is. It's, it was weird. They're like drinking beers and talking about like going out and like hooking up with this dude. I saw a, a trailer for it and I was like, "What is going on?" That's so, I. I had no idea. Yeah, it's honestly you're better off pretending you still don't. <laughs> <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, 100%. Uh, favorite sport that isn't baseball? Uh, college football. Specifically college. What's your favorite? Sure. Do, you, do you root for the one that uh, the school that you went to, or do you have another one? I, so I do. I do root for my FIU Panthers. Uh, we've been notoriously uh, not too great at football. We had a, we had one like rant, like stretch of a good year, went to a bowl game, won it that was good, but we haven't been great. So um, I've definitely kind of – bow down to my wife's alma mater in Florida State, so I, I would say I'm more of a Florida State fan than anything right now. Um, but, yeah, I tend to listen to like, – I'm fortunate in that my fiancé went to a D3 school, so I don't really mm -hmm. have to worry about, like, her teams being super competitive, but oh, I yeah. probably I, just go. If I don't really watch that much college football. I feel like yeah. I'm missing out, but I, I've just never been good at getting into college sports. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't I don't know much about like different names and all that, but it's just fun seeing how much more they want to win. Um, it's like they play every single game, like it's gonna be the last time they step on the gridiron. So I, I like that kind of tenacity about it. Um, that being said, I also do still really love uh, NFL football as well. But a funny story how you're talking about your fiance. So my wife, she's been big big in college football, loved it. Started getting more into the NFL this year, and I'm a diehard Miami Dolphins fan. Born and raised one, been a horrible stretch past decade or so of being a Dolphins fan. So of course, as we're watching the past couple of seasons, she's getting in my like, hey, so have you have you chosen a favorite team? Um, and she goes, she goes, Yeah, I think I, I think I have. She goes, I don't I don't know why, but for some reason I just I can't get the Buffalo Bills out of my head. And I'm like, You're kidding. Like you're gonna pick our <laughs> you're, you're gonna pick argue like our biggest threat in in our conference right now that almost notoriously beats us at everything and you're just all of a sudden going to be a bills fan you go she's from naples florida she doesn't even know anything about new york so here i am like wearing my dolphins jersey going up against them first round of the playoffs. she's got her bill stuff on i'm like dude what is this alternate universe going on right now so that was that is pretty a pretty funny story that's i how, how do you like the dolphins going into next year oh man i I don't know. I keep hearing these talks about like the possibility of Tua retiring because he's still on concussion protocol back from like December 26th or 28th or something like that. Um, so they've been like seeing those rumors. It's tough because I do think he's very talented. Uh, but at the end of the day, like his his well-being physically is always going to be considerably more important than anything on the field. So if he does end up going that route, I would understand it. I, I'm not. I wouldn't be upset or mad over it. Uh, and then it's just hoping that we can get like Tom Brady or something like that. Otherwise, you go ahead and chalk it up. It's not going to be a good one. I mean, I as, a, as a as a Patriots fan, it's kind of like, well, you guys, you guys don't need Brady. You can you can get somebody else. <laughs> well, you don't like Mac Jones? He's not doing it for you. Um, you know, I'll 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 say it. I don't think he's very 
good. I think he's like fine, mm-hmm. but he's not somebody that I get like like excited watching. Yeah, sure. I, I think I would agree with that. I get excited playing you guys now, though. So it's fun as a Dolphins fan getting to play the Patriots. We're not getting our asses pounded every time now. I, I, you know, I still remember when they had that like last second play where was it? It was like Bolden or someone like that. It was uh, Randy oh, for yeah, a yeah, zero yeah, seconds you... left. Like weird stuff always happened to them, even when Brady was there when they were playing the mm-hmm. Dolphins. It was that Miami Heat, man. They they couldn't for some reason. Those are the Northeasterners. They come down there, and that humidity gets to them. They get on the wrong side of the field where the sun's beating down, and gosh, it's just too much to deal with. How is that in Portland for you, coming from uh, coming from uh, Southern Florida? Is that tough to? Is that is that is the cold like in April there? Was that tough to get used to? Uh, surprisingly, no. Um, I've always loved pitching in the cold. I mean, I'm a lefty that throws cutters, which is you know, in a predominantly right-handed lineup, that's like a dream come true. I mean, these guys aren't trying to get jammed. It's cold. It's going to hurt the hell out of their hands. And that's all I'm going to do is throw inside. So we're, when some guys kind of, you know, will struggle in the cold and would prefer it to be hot, I'm like, dude, it's cold. the colder it is, the better, because people aren't going to want to step in the box against me. So you met, were you in, uh, were you in Tanner Houck in the same draft class? We were, yes. So, we, I have an ongoing argument with a few people over whether or not he's better as a starter or as a reliever. Because I look at him and I kind of see like a right-handed Josh Hader. Um, mm-hmm. Just somebody who had, like, first of all, if I were batting against him, I it would be like one of those John Cruck moments where you just walk away. Because it's like, this guy's either going to strike me out or he's going to kill me. So, mm-hmm. like, one, one of these things or the other. But what's where do you think uh, Hauk is, is best suited? Um, see, that's, that's so tough because I, I truly believe that that kid can pitch in any scenario and he's going to get out and he's going to be an absolute psychopath on the mound. Um, I mean, I was, I was fortunate enough. I played with him in 2017. We got drafted. I was unfortunate enough to be his catch play partner started off in Lowell. And when I tell you that guy throws just as hard in catch play as he does when he's on the mound, he was blowing me up. Um, and then I played with him in Portland in 2019 for a little bit. And he's just, it's, it's funny. Cause he, he's one of my good friends. He's super goofy, um, always having a good time. And when it was his start day, he would come into the locker room. Like his hat would be down to here. He's not talking to anybody. And you're like, Oh my God, he's actually going to kill like everybody on the other team. And then he would just dominate, just blow the doors off of everybody. So I think he's got the mentality to be like that Josh Hader, like F you, I'm going to ruin your entire career in three swings. And then he also has the capability to be like that Max Scherzer psychopath and like, oh, you thought you had a chance. Well, I just went nine innings, 18 punchies. Go take a seat, enjoy the plane trip back home. Because he's he's just that much of a competitor. And I think that he just thrives in any circumstance. Yeah, I mean, we've, sur- we've seen like he's done it. It's a good problem to have where you have a guy that could be in your rotation or he could be an all-star closer down the Mm -hmm. line. And, you know, like he's still he's still young enough that like he's got to settle into one of those roles. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Red Sox don't exactly have the best reputation for developing pitchers. And it seems like they've got more than a few right now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Brian Bayo, Brian Mata, um, Mm -hmm. just some really strong, just some really strong pitching. Do you think that there's been a change in the in like the coaching that you've seen over the last few years the over like the drafting strategy it really seems like the pitching talent has just look it just just seems so much stronger the last few years um i think there's just definitely been a little bit more of a focus on on like routines and making sure that you know we are building strength with our arms or being uh, uh right now it's big on like athletic throwing um and not just kind of falling into the mantra of pitchers on athletes well in order to move our bodies the way we do to throw as hard as we do, it's got to be somewhat athletic. So let's maintain some version of athleticism. Let's build that arm strength. Let's not be afraid to get in the weight room. So you've definitely seen kind of a, dyna- a dynamic shift with that, um, encouraging some long toss and, and different things. So I think it's more or less just uh, really harping on routines, arm strength and athleticism that has proven to, to work really well for a lot of guys in the organization. You thought you were going to say something, Tim? Um, I was going to ask you if you were going to ask your infamous Ed question. Oh, my Ed question? Yeah. Do you have any pets? <laughs> there I it do. Is. I do. I've got two. I've got two beautiful dogs. Let me oh, see if I can yeah. pull the what, what kind of dogs you got? So one of them, uh, his name, my wife named him. His name's Cutter. 
per usual, so it worked out pretty well. But he's a he's a Catahoula mixed with a long-haired German pointer, which is I'm sure is he's an ex, one of the most exotic-looking dogs on the planet. And then we have our our newer addition, but she's an older one. She's a rescue pup. Um, her name is Capella. She came with the name. And we have no idea what breed she is. She's probably a compilation of maybe seven or different animals. But this is, I don't know if you see it all that well. This, oh, this, my, oh yes. my God. I so, love a little bandana. I know. So Cutter's the, the one in the front. He's a bigger boy. He's about 65 pounds. And then Capella, who is always very fashionable, has different sweaters. She has different, um, she loves putting on different like outfits and stuff. She's in the back, but. Yeah, those those two dogs, they're they're like they're my children. I love them dearly. They're, they've been a big part of, of my my and my wife's life for the past couple of years. So did you grow up with dogs? Uh I grew up, I had one dog. He was a, a pug named Gotti because yeah, they had a pug. Oh no, I, I sorry, continue. <laughs> no, you're fine. But um yeah, so I'm I'm super Italian family, all that type of stuff. So of course we have like this smushed face pug, and my mom is like, Yeah, we got John Gotti, he works perfect. <laughs> So we just called him Gotti and um and he was awesome. I mean he was he was such an amazing dog too. The snoring and the snoring. He was just so goofy and I loved it. Um but I've always been I've been a huge dog lover. I'm sure I'll have plenty more um in my lifetime. So yeah, I just I have to just share this because you mentioned the pug. Um so that's oh. Zoe and this is Penny, who's the one that you could hear screaming there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penny's awesome. like, I don't know what she's a mix of. We know that there's like some Chihuahua and some Corgi. And mm-hmm. it's like the two most annoying things of each of them because she's she likes to fight like a Chihuahua and she's really loud like a Corgi. So and we live in like an apartment building right now where there's constantly moving. So it's like every 30 minutes or so she just starts screaming at something outside. Or we had a neighbor that has um, like uh, it was snowing the other night and they were like showing their baby the snow and she just starts screaming at the baby for some reason. So oh, and, no. I mean, she's, she's a great she's a great dog. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I uh, just I, I I give her shit. But like she's she's a really just like a really wonderful, sweet dog. And I, I didn't have them until. I moved in with Zoe's. So my Zoe was my roommate's dog and there was like an accident that I ended up taking care of her for a bit while my roommate was um, recovering and I got super attached, but I was like 25, I think when that happened, mm-hmm. I can't, I can, I can barely remember not having one like that. I'm just taking care of. I'm 33 now. So mm-hmm. yeah, my, uh, my wife and I got cutter uh, during the COVID pandemic actually. So he was a, he was a COVID baby. Uh, he was our first dog that we've, that we've had together. And, Honestly, we could not have been more lucky with with the two dogs that we have in general. They're so sweet. They're so much fun. We got a big backyard. Let them go crazy out uh, out during the day. So we got we're super fortunate. So the Cutter part it wasn't after Cutter Crawford. She's not just like a ironically a big Cutter Crawford. <laughs> no, fan. no. I had to tell him that. I was like, dude, it's Cutter with a C after the pitch. It's not Cutter with a K. I promise. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't take that. And he 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 goofed about it for a bit, but it was it was pretty funny. Um, who are, who who are some of your friends that you've seen go up to the majors, besides Cutter and uh, Hauk? Um, oh, there were a couple, uh, a lot, a lot in like different organizations. I would probably say for the most part. Now you can go ahead and throw obviously Thad Warden and uh, AJ Politi up there. We're we're pretty good friends. Thad rehabbing with us last year, um, things like that. But like one of my best uh, one of my best friends in my childhood, uh, Ryan Mountcastle with the Orioles. Oh, seriously. Yeah, I've known him for a while. Um, I actually one of, one of my claims. I mean, I hit two home runs off of him, or no, two home runs in a game in Little League, and one of them was off of him. And every time I see him, I make sure to let him know that. To him <laughs> but um, watching him come up through the Orioles organization, seeing him during spring trainings, talking with him and all that, we, we've maintained a friendship, and it's been awesome watching him blossom into the to the beast that he's been at the plate for the Orioles. Um, and then uh, MJ Melendez with the Royals. His dad was actually my college baseball coach. Really, I, I didn't. Yeah. Know, I didn't know that he had uh, like a lineage. Oh yeah, so his dad, he uh, he was um, at FIU, I think, for six years. Uh, was a very successful coach at Bethune Cookman, and then I think Alabama State. I believe I can't remember if that was it. Is it the I think it was the Yellow Jackets. It might be Alabama State, but um, yeah, he came. He came to FIU for my junior year. Um, taught me a lot of what I know about the game, and just making sure that I'm giving it my all. Never 
you know, half-assing it, not taking off reps and taking the game serious and playing to win. Um, and MJ was, he was a senior in high school of my junior year. We got drafted the same year, but um, he ended up being a recruit and he was supposed to come to FIU and all that obviously made the right call going to the Royals cause he's crushing it. Uh, and then played against him every single, every single year. He was always at a Royals affiliate at the same level that I was. So playing against him, seeing him saying hello and all that, that's been, that's been cool. And then obviously watching his success at the big league level, it's been, it's been fun to watch. Yeah. You know, you, there's that saying that um, when you're in the minors, you're not just playing for your team. You're playing for every other team in the league. Um, do you find that that saying to be accurate that you're kind of being scouted by everybody at once and, you know, you never know what's going to be your next opportunity? Oh yeah. 100%. Um, at the end of the day, like you're creating, like your goal should be creating value in yourself. Um, and that's not just for your organization, but it's for all 30 teams that are out there. And uh, like a, per- a perfect example of that, I think would be Zach Kelly, who I'm also uh, really good friends with is watching him, you know, play for the two teams that he was with before get TJ come and then come to the Red Sox. And to do what he's done, it's like there's value. And if you create value for yourself, you could be on all different all different sorts of teams. So it's um, seeing something like that in him and the success that he's had, you know, even after being with a couple of teams, it's you're always playing. You're always playing for 30 teams. It's insane with Kelly and just that, um, you know, he signed for I think he said five hundred dollars out of uh, as like an undrafted free agent. And. You know, that kind of makes me think about you having your cutter. He had his changeup. I mean, as long as you have one superlative like that, sometimes that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's all, and he was an amazing clubhouse guy, too. He's such a good friend. He was someone that, you know, you knew you were never going to have any issues with outside of um, of the foul line. So it was, you know, stand-up guy, unreal changeup, through hard as hell. Um, and the same thing, bulldog on the mound. Like, goes up there, and he's going to – He's going to cuss you out. He's going to let you know that he's better than you, and he's going to prove it and not just talking it. Him and Caleb or next to each other is – because this is like um, – you see they, – they, they're they buddies, and like you see them sometimes in um, – I mean, uh, uh, not Pawtucket, Worcester a decent amount, and they look like linebackers. It's <laughs> like – like that's got to be so intimidating as a batter. Just some, just some You have one guy who's like six foot five, 230 pounds, and another one right after him that's throwing like – you know, 101 miles an hour or whatever word has there. It's, yeah. you know, it's imposing. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, I actually, I remember I met Ort for the first time in spring training, I think, last year. And, like, we were, he was sitting out uh, getting breakfast at, like, at the spring training, like, picnic tables. And he stood up afterwards, and I was just like, oh, my God. This guy's a beast. Holy shit. Like, he is, he's legit, man. And he's, 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 a, he's an awesome dude and just absolutely throws the piss out of the baseball. It's fun to watch. I've heard he works as a mechanic during the offseason also. That I'm not sure. Um I, I, I don't really talk to him a whole a whole bunch away away from the from the field. Uh so I'm not sure exactly what he does, but honestly that wouldn't surprise me. He also se- he seems like a really smart dude in general, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked. Okay, so here's I think this is because we're almost at an hour now. Um I've got one more question and then Tim, you can take us home. <laughs> okay. What is the most interesting job that you know of a minor league baseball player working during the offseason? Oh, man. The most interesting job. I'm I'm not sure. I, I guess I would probably have to to default to like maybe Uber, Uber driving. Something like that. I mean, I've done that. I've done that myself. So, but I guess I didn't think it was that that crazy. But um, it's definitely it's a whole different world. You go out of that off season and you, for, I know for myself, when I was doing Uber and Uber eats, it was just like, what the heck is going on? And people would ask me like, Oh, what do I do? Do I do anything outside of Ubering? Like, yeah, you know, I, I played professional baseball. Um, and they'd be like dumb. Like, what are you doing Ubering? Don't you make like millions of dollars? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just doing this for fun. Just enjoying it. <laughs> so it was always a trip. Um, so I, I guess I would just default to that. So who is your favorite player that you've struck out in, like professionally through the minors? Oh man. That sticks out to you. Um, I would I would probably say um I did I did punch out Danny Santana um going in. I think it was uh it was in spring still, but he had just gotten we had just picked him up. He was on the big league roster. He came to do some like live ABs. 
and I remember like I, I punched him out with just some some of my nastiest shit that I've ever thrown. And I was just like, okay, okay, here you go. So that was that was pretty cool. And like we're at the one hour mark, but just something quick. Uh what are some of your hobbies outside of baseball? Uh so I'm I'm a big nerd. I love video games. I do, but definitely not your like stereotypical Call of Duties and things like that. Uh, I'm actually being an old school RuneScape, which I don't know if you Wait, are you serious? Are. Yeah, I love old school RuneScape. I've played that forever. Um, I, I like my, that account is definitely like one of my babies. I will for sure be playing the crap out of it during spring training when I have free time. Um, but yeah, so more more of like the MMORPG style, like not your you know stereotypical um, like Call of Duty stuff. Yeah, I just I just have to ask, what level are you in RuneScape? That was when I was in junior high and high school. I played a bunch of RuneScape. Okay, I think I am like level one hundred and six. But the account that I have, um, are you familiar with like the new types of accounts that you can have? No, I honestly, when I was playing, it was like five dollars for a member account, and that was like the only okay. like, alternate account you could get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the types you can create different styles of accounts. So the one that I have, it's called an Iron Man, but it's entirely self-sufficient. So I can't trade anybody. I can't like buy items off of different players or like the the market or the, the auction house, if you will, the grand exchange, um, anything that I want, I have to earn it in game by either killing a boss or killing something entirely by myself or by making the armor and things like that. So it's a little bit more of a grindy process to the game because you have to basically level everything up all by yourself and just getting it all by yourself. So uh, that's my account. Uh, I've got a bunch of like crazy stats and, and fun things like that, but but yeah, it's all entirely self-sufficient. I've gotten no help from anybody. I, I it just sounds like survivalist RuneScape to me. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's funny. It just it like it adds like a different layer to where like I I remember I put in like a it's like a thirty-five hour grind in the game for something, and I just remember like thinking if I could have just bought this with a different account, it would have been so much like I wouldn't have been in love with this game like I am. <laughs> Like just sitting there pointing and clicking at something for 30 hours. So like I almost appreciate the grindy aspect of it. And it brings back all this nostalgia from when I played in middle school and things like that. So, so that's, it's definitely a big time sink, but it's a, it's a big, big fun, a big hobby of mine. Do you I play mean, sports games? A- oh, sorry, Ed. Do you oh, no, play any sports games at all? Uh, actually I do not. So I am a big advocate and like, <laughs> I play enough sports in real life. I, I'm not very good at Madden, so I never really got into that. I've literally lost friendships because of FIFA and the shit talking from FIFA, so stay away from that. <laughs> and then, like, I never got anything out of like making my own character and playing MLB the Show because it's like, well, I'm already trying to do that in real life. <laughs> and then, and then the NBA, like 2K, like I had that for a little bit, but it just it just gets monotonous. I'm I'm so much like nerdier. I love like the the longer grindy games and like stuff that if you were to you know tell somebody. They'd be like, dude, what the hell's wrong with this guy? Is he okay? <laughs> like, for some reason, it's just right up my alley. Um, I do, you know, I said, I know I said that, uh, I, that was going to be my last question. I do have one last one. Mm-hmm. You have perhaps the best mustache we've ever had on this show. Cole Cottom is, you know, this is like, uh, here comes a new challenger for Cole Cottom. Is I that say- new? How long have you been doing that for? Uh, so I, I had the mustache back in um, – I had it a little bit in 19, but towards like the end of the year. The full mustache didn't really come out until 2021, and that was when um, – like just going into the year, I just didn't shave for a while, and I shaved like it into a mustache because I have really patchy, horrible beard hair. And I was like, dude, this looks pretty good. And then I like went in the locker room, like put on my rec specs and my hat, and I looked, and I was like, I look like I either throw 150 miles an hour – or that I'm just going to throw nothing but the nastiest off speed. And so I just kept it. And my wife loves it. She's, she's a big fan of the mustache. So it's been, uh, it's been, uh, in the mix since, since 2021, early 2021. Uh, no, it's a good, it's a good look, especially out of the pen. I feel like that just adds, it adds an intimidation factor. Oh, hundred percent. And I tell you what, nothing like having a battery calling, calling pitches. That's got an equally amazing mustache. Let me tell you, Cole Cotton, he's, <laughs> he's working with some gold there too. He doesn't have it right now. He got, I was very, we had him on a couple weeks ago and oh, it man. was, I was like advertising it like, like um, owner of greatest mustache, Cole Cotton. He comes on and he has a full beard. Oh my goodness. Like, oh, no, I'm going to break it out later in the offseason. It's like, oh man, I look ridiculous now. 
was okay. Well, I saw what's called. I saw Winkowski when I got in uh, yesterday. Was our first day, and he had the mustache, and like it's it's pretty damn good mustache too. He's looking good, uh, Josh Winkowski. And the first thing I said was like, "Dude, you just do everything you can to try to copy me, don't you?" Because we were really close friends. We were roommates on the road in Portland. He was like, "I knew you were gonna say that," and I'm like, "Dude, I'm just kidding. You look great." Yeah, I've heard <laughs> Wink is a real character. He is. I love that man to death. I really do. He's uh he's definitely not everybody's not everybody's cup of tea. He he has uh a, but he's unapologetically himself, which I really appreciate. Um and I definitely see kind of past his like real tough guy bravado. We've always been good friends. He loves video games too. We've connected a ton over that, but but he's definitely, you know, you get you give that kid a chance. He's 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 a really nice guy down down to his core. So I love I love me some wink, I always will. I just remember him last year, uh, just anytime they played in a stadium, he'd be like, ah, it's not that great. Uh, the stadium, yeah. uh, not that big. And I was waiting for him to go to like Tampa and be like, this is the best stadium I've ever played in. Dude, yes. I would say that dude, when I saw when I saw his postgame report about Wrigley, I texted him and I was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, even if you thought that, why would you say it? Just keep that to yourself. Like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Move on. Next question. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing, Wink? And he was giving me shoes. Like, what, man? I'm like, dude, it's okay. But that's the thing is he's just – he's unapologetically himself, and I appreciate it. I do. Good trait to have if you're a pitcher, I would think. Like, it's got to – I feel like having that kind of mentality must help. Oh, yeah, especially when you got just nasty shit. And it definitely <laughs> – the two just play off each other beautifully. Oh, man, so I think that's – unless you got anything else, Tim. I'm good. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for coming on, Dominic. This is this is awesome. Uh, where can people, uh, if they want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, so I have a Twitter. I'm a, I'm not. I don't have much of a social media presence, uh, as you know. I'm, I think you DM yep. me a while ago. I had no idea how the message requests even worked. But um, my Twitter is at Dominic Labruto, and then I don't even have an Instagram. I try to. I know I get sucked into it, so I try to kind of stay away from it a little bit. But if you want to find me, Twitter. That's uh, that's where you'll find me. Cool. Um, anything that you'd like to add? Any uh, predictions for this season for you? Um, as far as myself, I'm just going to take it day by day. But let me tell you what the Red Sox are doing, what they've been mixing and matching. I, I'm, I'm super excited to, to watch things unfold at the big league level. I think uh, they're putting together a club that's going to play really, really well together. And it's going to be fun watching guys like Sale get back up on the mound and just dominate. So I'm excited for them. I'm excited for myself. So I guess Red Sox fans, uh, get ready. It's going to be a fun run. From your mouth to God's ears. Uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks again for, uh, for coming by. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for